Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Tom Williams. Today, we'll, we'll dive into digital citizenship and what schools are doing to promote safe and responsible use of the internet. But first, we close our state superintendent series with Catherine Truitt, Chancellor of Western Governors University, North Carolina, and a Republican candidate for state superintendent of public instruction. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. On January 27th, Governor Cooper announced an $825,000 grant to help high school students prepare for the future through the Communities and Schools of North Carolina Jobs for North Carolina Graduates program. The grant will fund the program to work with high school upperclassmen at seven schools across the state and help identify students who are at risk for not completing high school or successfully entering the workforce. Those students will be trained in essential workplace competencies. The program has a 98% success rate and aims to close the still gap in North Carolina. Public funding for private schools. While the United States Supreme Court has ruled that states may include religious schools in publicly funded school choice programs, a ruling could require funding religious schools. The case of Espinoza versus the Montana Department of Revenue centers around the issue of tax credits. Montana was providing up to $150 to donors who supported scholarships to provide student choice in education. It was later discovered that religious schools could not participate due to a provision in the Constitution, so the program shut down. This closing left some feeling like their rights to free exercise of religion were being violated if the program was taken down so that people of faith could not access it. U.S. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos argues that Montana is keeping children from a better education, while Democratic state governments, school boards, and teacher unions are arguing that public-funded religious education takes away from traditional public schools and from children who may not have a choice in schools. If it's found to be unconstitutional to exclude private religious schools from a program that provides funding to public schools, this ruling has the potential to change voucher programs or other rulings that involve public funding for religious schools. Pleased to say, happy National School Counseling Week. School counselors have a tremendous impact in helping students in the most formative years of their lives achieve academically and develop socially and emotionally. Research tells us that schools with comprehensive counseling programs have higher academic achievement, better attendance rates, and fewer discipline concerns. School counselors are some of the biggest advocates for our students and promote equity and access to opportunities for every student. We want to thank our amazing school counselors here in North Carolina for helping ensure that each student is supported. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines, as well as other topics we cover each week. I'd like to welcome to the show Catherine Truitt, Chancellor of Western Governors University, North Carolina, and a Republican candidate for state superintendent. Thank you so much for being here. We're delighted to see you. Thank you, Tom, for having me. Well, I'll tell you, open up and tell us a little bit about what you see in your professional experience that has best prepared you to take on your effort to be our state superintendent. Um, that's a really good question and one that I'm happy to answer. I, I've had a wealth of experiences that I believe have prepared me to run for state superintendent, starting with my 10 years in the classroom. Um, my husband was in the Navy and we moved around a lot and so I've had many different kinds of public school teaching experiences as well as three years teaching in a parent-run school prior to the charter school movement. I've also taught overseas um, in the British school system 
So um, I have a, a wealth of teaching experiences. I also served for three years as a turnaround coach. And this work was done in high poverty schools. Um, and turnaround work is, is very difficult, challenging work that allowed me to see what it means to educate all kids. Um, and to always ask that hard question, are we educating all kids? Um, after those three years in, in, as a turnaround coach, I moved into the policy world where I served as Governor McCrory's education advisor. Then I moved on to um, higher education where I am still today. I worked for President Spellings at the UNC system for a, a time before moving on to Western Governors University. So public schools are a large system, a lot of challenges, opportunities, a lot of excitement. Mm -hmm. What do you see as, say, three of the top issues facing public education in North Carolina, and how do you plan on trying to address them? Well, one, of, one issue that I, I got a close-up look at when I worked for President Spellings was this issue of fourth grade reading. Um, our national um, scores and that show how we compare to kids in other states show that 65% of fourth graders in North Carolina do not read proficiently. So two-thirds do not read on grade level. And some of the work that I did during that time at the UNC system was kind of peek into our colleges of education to see how we are training pre-service teachers to teach kids how to read. And what I found with some outside consultants helping is that there's not really consensus or consistency on how we are training teachers to teach kids how to read. And the research is very clear that a phonics-based approach is the best way um, and the, 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 the most powerful way for all kids, including kids with, with learning disabilities, to learn how to read. We are hardwired to learn how to speak. We are not hardwired to learn how to read. Um, so that's one thing that we need to do is to crack that nut on, on early literacy instruction. Um, an, another issue that is very much weighing, I think, on a lot of one's hearts and minds um, with the Leandro report coming down is how are we going to fix our school funding model? I think that when, when, I, when I look at um, the inequity that currently exists in the way that we fund schools, uh, we, we do a better job than a lot of other states, but when we look at the supplemental money that counties get, or I'm sorry, that schools get from counties, it ranges in North Carolina anywhere from $400 per pupil to $6,000 per pupil. Um, and and that's, that's not okay. I think um, Leandro is going to give us, or the West Ed Report is going to give us an opportunity to really look at what we're doing and shed some light on how inequitable this, this funding model is. So going into the role, I think some would say that the governance model for public schools in North Carolina is somewhat disjointed um, and disconnected. Um, how would you navigate that environment? What do you see you doing as a state superintendent to help with the governance model, with the state board, the state agency, General Assembly, the other stakeholder yes. groups, governor's office. Yeah, so um, the person who wins this election and is in this role needs to be someone with authentic leadership because right now what we have is a very um, 
uh, a, a lot of lack of trust, I would say. Um, this, the person who is in this role needs to have strong relationships with the board, needs to be able to be a great leader for the Department of Public Instruction as an organization, and also needs to work with legislators, but just as importantly, needs to be a liaison for superintendents um, with the legislators and with the State Board of Education. And I don't know that, that we've seen that um, mm -hmm. over the past few years. Mm -hmm. um, to your point about governance, I would also add that we need to align um, K-12 with the community college system and the UNC system a little bit better. There needs to be more coordination um, with those groups as well as the Department of Commerce. I think that one thing that separates me from, from my fellow candidates is that I've been sitting at the intersection of workforce development and higher education. So I really understand what, um, what happens, what are the consequences for not being able to read on grade level in the fourth grade or do math by the eighth grade or achieve a, a 17 on the SAT, which is the minimum score required to go to a UNC system school. The consequences are that we don't have a solid workforce to continue to grow our economy. And so for that reason, I believe we need to have better coordination among our three different levels of education in the state. As you know, Governor Cooper's budget proposal calls for phasing out the opportunity scholarships or vouchers. The General Assembly has an automatic increase in those um, every year to increase the number of those. What's your position on that and um, how do you think the vouchers are affecting public education in North Carolina? So when I think about school choice, um, I think philosophically I am in favor of school choice. As a parent, uh, I, I think that, um, that parents know what's best for their kids and that parents should be the ones making those decisions. Where that argument starts to get a little gray is when, when we look at the fact that if you are um, economically advantaged and you are not happy with your child's school, you choose to send them to a private school. If you are not economically disadvantaged, you don't have a choice. And we have parents who have um, been have have to send their children to schools that they know are not best for their kids, or at, or worse, are failing their kids. I appreciate the argument that the vouchers that in increasing the amount of money we give to vouchers that we are taking away from public schools. Um, I think that in order for our system to truly be equitable, we do need to have a certain amount of money set aside for vouchers. I don't really know what that amount of money is. Mm -hmm. That's something that I think needs to be decided by, by a, 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 a brain trust, if you will. Um, Thank you. But I do agree with the principle of vouchers. So we have about a minute left, um, a little bit less than that. What are your thoughts on restructuring the A through F grading system and school accountability in North Carolina? Is that a priority of yours to yes. fix that? Yes, absolutely it is. Um, the, um, the morale or lack of morale that that system creates doesn't do anyone any good. I think the current system is more about teachers being accountable to 
the legislature than it is about being accountable to students and families. So I would like to change that, yes. Thank you, and as the year moves forward, we'll look forward to hearing additional insights from you, and we really appreciate you being here this evening. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. After the break, Abby Futrell, Assistant Superintendent of Edgecombe County Schools, will discuss digital citizenship in our schools. But first, see if you can answer this question. What is a digital footprint? Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer B, a trail of data you create while using the internet? It includes the websites you visit, emails you send, and information you submit to online services. Joining us now is Abby Futrell. Thank you for joining us so much today. We're delighted to have you here. Thank you, Tom. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. First, you're working and leading in Edgecombe County Schools. Tell us a little bit about the Edgecombe County Public Schools. Proudly. Um, Edgecombe County is located in Tarboro, North Carolina, uh, so we're east of 95. We have 14 schools, uh, consist of five elementary, four middle, one early college, one K-8, and three high schools. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with. We have approximately 6,000 students, um, and we uh, serve under the leadership of the brilliant Dr. Valerie H. Bridges. Excellent. So uh, it's a wonderful place to work and learn. Thank you. We know you have a tremendous amount of expertise in all of the <laughs> instructional areas, but especially around digital teaching and learning. So. Our General Assembly and our State Board of Education really embrace the idea of the North Carolina uh, Digital Teaching and Learning Initiative. Been working at it several years. What does digital teaching and learning mean in the Edgecombe County Schools? Very good. Um, it encompasses so much. It's a new way of teaching and learning. Um, it's sort of taking a little bit of the old and meshing it with the new so that we can appeal to the way that our students are interacting with each other, interacting with the world, and the way that they're learning. Um, so we're grateful for the Digital Learning Initiative. I mean, it, it pretty much gave us a roadmap in terms of how we should be doing instruction, um, what our infrastructure should look like. Um, we use the rubric to provide reflections on how we're progressing and how we're doing. So it's been an instrumental instrument in reforming digital teaching and learning in Edgecombe County as well as across the state of North Carolina. In reading a little bit about the Digital Learning Initiative, I know one of the key um, elements of it for students and key sets of skills or competency for students to begin developing is the whole idea of becoming a digital citizen. Mm -hmm. What does digital citizenship mean and um, how is it impacting our students? Good deal. Um, digital citizenship is basically being responsible in your use of technology. So the same way um, we work on creating great citizens, um, you just kind of have to transfer that online. But I think it's important to keep in mind that those two go hand in hand. So like you can't separate, you know, you can't um, yell at somebody online and then turn around and you're a great person otherwise. So they kind of feed into each other. So it's sort of an extension of teaching students how to be a good citizen, but because most of their interactions happen online, there are a whole new set of rules around um, digital citizenship. Um, it also entails um, teaching them how to, for example, decipher what's real and what's not. 
So fact-finding. Um, I thought about when I started getting text messages about Kobe Bryant, the first thing I did was I Googled it. Uh -huh. The only thing I could find was TMZ. Well, to me, TMZ is not a reliable source. But a lot of our students don't come into this world understanding. They just know, I saw it on the Internet, so it's fact. Mm -hmm. and, and that could get them in a lot of trouble. So we teach them um, responsibility in that sense. We're finding now that we're also focusing on having a media balance. Um, we know that, you know, staring at a screen too long, the physical effects on your eyes and on your neck. And, you know, mm -hmm. so understanding there's a time to put that phone down so you can interact with your friends, you can interact with your families, you can take care of yourself. So there are many components of digital citizenship and we try to cover all of them uh, through our instruction. So when you think about your children in your school system and then you think about their parents uh, their parents are key factors to their success in the school absolutely challenges opportunities how do you bring parents into the fold to make sure they're engaged in what you all are trying to accomplish with the children during the school day and how does that follow up when they go back home great deal um, some of our partnerships have included um, partnerships with Downey's Partnership, where we've had parent nights around uh, different technology initiatives, um, forums. We have a lot of STEM and tech nights um, because we, we, are, uh, we have a couple of STEM schools, some amazing STEM labs. We fold that right into PTSO nights, wherever we can get the word out to sort of help parents. Um, it's funny, sometimes you'll get from parents, oh, technology, that's a young people thing. Mm -hmm. And then you'll get some parents who are just as tech savvy as their children. Um, the funny thing is, as, as we're older, we're no, we'll never be as tech savvy as they are. So we'll never be able to stay in front of their eight ball. But there are just some things that parents have to be aware of um, in terms of keeping their students safe and also understanding the dangers and the challenges that, are, um, that exist online. So we, we try to keep them as educated as we do the students. You talked a little earlier about the reality of there's not a digital citizen and then an in-person citizen. Uh, it's, it's a whole person. It is. Um, we've seen on occasion uh, special causes where social media has caused students a problem. Um, elementary students, middle school, high schools, um, what are you doing to help students navigate that social media environment as part of becoming effective digital citizens? Absolutely, we run into that a lot. Um, we have many instances where something that has initiated online eventually um, flows over into the school. Um, one thing I'm proud to say about Edgecombe County is that although we cannot get around having to um, implement disciplinary actions around that, we're really proactive about the learning experience. Um, so it's not just, you know, we understand you made a mistake, but there are consequences of that, but what can we do to not help that happen again? So it, it goes back to not only digital citizenship, but just work we're doing in the district around trauma and resilience. You know, if you're, if you're angry, and that's how you're reacting by lashing out online, how can we help you deal with when you have feelings of anger? Mm -hmm. Because if not, it's just gonna repeat itself. Right. So because we have leaders of heart, um, they're really, really invested in seeing students do better and be better, so we sort of love them through their mistakes. But it, it happens more commonly than not. I mean, middle schoolers are yep. hormonal, elementary kids are just repeating what they see um, older kids do, and you know, so we just do the best we can with letting them know, like, you made a mistake, right. but this is how you fix it, and this is how you not repeat it. Good. So part of the Digital Learning Initiative addresses people like me, um, school administrators and teachers. What are you doing to help make sure that our teachers and our school leaders are up to speed on what they need to be doing to lead 
um, digital citizenship for our kids. Good deal. So the um, digital learning competencies have been instrumental in sort of supporting that, supporting us in that. And I remember working at the Friday Institute when we were collaborating with DPI around the um, DOCs for administrators. Mm -hmm. So the rationale behind that was as leaders, you know, you have to model what we're expecting from teachers and what we're expecting teachers to model and teach students. So that was part of the reason um, DLCs for administrators came about. So that's, that guides our work and that kind of gives us a leg to stand on when we uh, have to give that gentle nudge around why you need to learn these things. We don't get much resistance from mm -hmm. our principals. Our principals are always very open to learning. Um, and I mean, they're great models, they're great leaders around um, the digital initiatives that are not only requirements, but expectations of the district. Have about 30 seconds. I know that you are a statewide leader with NC Ties. Yes. What is NC Ties? What's the date? You got a little bit of time <laughs> to wrap it up. NC Ties, March 4th through the 6th at Raleigh Convention Center. It is the premier education conference. I know most people know it as a technology conference, but uh, we've sort of expanded. It's more than just education. Uh, we have a stellar keynote speaker lineup, hundreds of sessions. It's a great time. Thank you so much, Abby yes, Futrell, for being welcome. here and representing uh, Edgecombe me. County Public Schools tonight. <laughs> My pleasure. After this break, this week's final word. Think about the unique roles that military officers, nurses, and K-12 teachers fulfill each day across our nation. While clearly what they do every day is quite different, they share at least one thing in common. They are consistently among the most respected professionals in our society. Last week, the North Carolina State Board of Education released its draft findings of their annual report on the state of the teaching profession. This annual report tracks key data on the employment, attrition and mobility of our state's 97,000 K through 12 public school teachers. Some good news over the past three years is that the rate of teacher attrition, those leaving the profession, has seen a slight decline from 8.7% to 7.5%. To a lesser degree, the annual mobility rate, teachers leaving one school system to go to another, has declined slightly from 4.8% to 4.5%. While both of these offer an encouraging trend by percentage, the actual number of teachers our students, local schools, and local communities lose each year is a staggering number between 11 to 12,000 teachers. These critical professional vacancies need to be filled at the start of each new school year. Based on our state's decline in the pipeline of teacher candidates seeking their teaching degree and teaching license, the 2018-19 annual report indicates that on the first day of classes, there were 3,100 teacher vacancies. And on the 40th day of the school year, there were still nearly 1,700 vacant teaching positions needed to be filled by a qualified teacher. While these numbers as a percentage of total teachers may seem small, 3.2 and 1.8 respectively, to the parents of a first grader, a child with special needs, or a high school math student preparing a competitive college application, these vacancies illustrate the imperative for our state's legislative leaders and our State Board of Education to aggressively pursue its court-ordered action plan to meet its constitutional duty for every child's classroom to be staffed with a competent, certified, well-trained teacher. Our students and our local school communities are depending on our combined state leadership and their collective power to set in motion a state plan to assure every child in North Carolina has access to a sound basic education. The foundation for our success in meeting this demand 
rest in the state creating the proper conditions to recruit, retain, and recognize the value of the teaching profession now and in the years ahead. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.